0: You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers, and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening, and hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota, and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz.
1: Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings of New Zealand Show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode we have a live recording from the recent Black Sands Flyin, which took place at Raglan over the past weekend, of the second to the fourth of November. On Saturday the third of November, the assembled Sport Aircraft Association members and others were addressed by a team from Civil Aviation Authority. Or CAA, who talked about various important issues going on in both sport aviation and other recreational aviation at the moment. As there are key issues that were applied to many pilots across the spectrum of aviation in New Zealand, we thought it was worth recording this and putting it out as a Wings over New Zealand show, as many of you may pick up some interesting tips and information. The following is introduced by Bruce Cook, one of the organisers of Black Sands, and the speakers are Paula Moore and Doug Hamilton.
0: Good afternoon
1: everybody. Welcome along to the 2018 Black
2: Sands Drive In. Okay, glad that you guys could make it despite the weather. Awesome to see you here. Okay, uh, today we've got our delegation from the CIA. Paula Moore is uh, well will introduce the, the team. Good to see you along. Thank you for coming. I hope you take the opportunity to, to talk to these guys, if you have any particular concerns about where the industry is going, um, things that
1: affect you, have a chat to them, they're here to find out what is big issues
2: with us, so what, what, what sort of things are concerning us and they can, uh, they'd love to hear what concerns and um, be able to take that back to Wellington and, uh, and work on that. I'll hand over to Paula now. You may or may not want to use the microphone. It's up to you. So, no, use it. He wants me to use it. I to you Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you. Um, it's been recorded, I understand, for the Wings Over New Zealand podcast. Cool. <laughs> anyway, um, as Griff said, we're up from CAA. We're members of the Special Flight Operations and Recreation Recreational Aviation Team. I'm um, the team leader flood flight operations, adventure aviation, on our board here. And with us today, we've got Doug Hamilton. For those who don't already know him, Doug, he's one of our flood ops inspectors and Mac McCarthy. Also with us from CAA is Philippa Lagan. She's um, from the communications and safety promotion team. We were hoping that, you know, the pilots flying in, we we're gonna set up a little booth to mainly emphasise ADSB and discuss that with pilots coming in. We thought it would be a good opportunity. So our team, as we said, special flight-ups recreational aviation, we do deal, deal with all the things that aren't passenger transport basically, except for the adventure aviation side of it. Our manager is Clayton Hughes, or is commonly known as MERV, and we have our flight operation side. Um, and on the other side we have the Airworthiness, with John as our team leader, and two Airworthiness inspectors, Dean and Dave. Our admin is Claire, um, she's usually the first point of contact for our unit, and we also have a senior technical specialist, Unmanned Aircraft and Recreational Aviation. I have to keep looking at this title because there's so many words in it, and that's Mark Houston. You may be familiar with you, but he does deal mainly with 102, Um, unmanned aircraft certification and assisting him and also part of our team is Corey Price so he's sort of primarily though dealing with unmanned aircraft at the moment. So we cover, as I said, quite a few aspects of civil aviation. So we look after the adventure aviation side, the unmanned aircraft, recreational aviation, which is all you guys, and aviation events, so any air shows or aerobatic competitions that need authorisation, they come to our unit for authorisation. So the certificate holders, um, we also look after the 149 Nine organisation. so that's RANS and SAC for the General Aviation, Gliding New Zealand, the two parachute organisations, the Parachute Industry Association and the Parachute. Parachute organisation. It's a bit like the Liberation People's Liberation Front of Judea and the Judean People's Liberation Front. Uh, Part 66 LAMIS, the maintenance programmes for general aviation, and often the project special matter experts. And you see a couple of photos there that cover off what we do. So that's who we are, and today we thought we'd take the opportunity just to discuss a few issues that have risen in industry. We only want to have a PowerPoint for about three four slides and then we thought we'd have a general discussion with you all. Of course we've managed to do most of that this morning. So one of the things we just want to <coughs> emphasise with in relation to my lights is that part 91 is still the main or primary rule you deal with and the part 103 provides those variations from part 91, the bits that you don't have to comply with and some additional information. So that allows the airworthiness side of it, of working on your own aircraft and a couple of other requirements. One of the things we, with the summer season about to start, appropriate to think, well, allegedly starting, <laughs> think about your currency. Because you know, a lot of people might not have flown over winter very much, and is it appropriate to the task you're about to achieve want to go out? So if you haven't flown a while, is a big long cross country advisable without doing some flight you know, practice first or go out and just re- renew your skills, even if it isn't booking with an instructor. And after you've done that, of course looking debriefing and reviewing what you've done, what you're doing well, what you need to work on again and what but one of the big important ones, and especially for this weekend, would have been have a plan and have a backup plan. <laughs> Sorry.
1: So, then the backup
2: plan, for the backup backup plan, Yes, mm-hmm. so I think the car became useful. <laughs> it's just something we've noticed. You know, when we come into the summer season, we always get a spike in events happening. And always remember to brief before each flight. Some of you may remember I came along a couple of years ago with about all the airspace changes that were happening around the Waikato. They are also continuing around New Zealand. This, um, this Thursday will be Christchurch uh, Control Zone, Wellington Control Zone, all of the Nelson airspace. Those are the big ones uh, that have happened around Timaru. Now I know a lot of you aren't actually working in the South Island, because we didn't get anyone up from the South Island. But those those airspaces will change it, and next year we're looking. Well, we've started the process for the east coast of the North Island, so that's the last area that will be done in relation to controlled airspace changes for the performance-based navigation implementation that Airways are putting in. So with all those, the IFR routes are all changing, so the airspace around it will be changing. But also before each flight, remember to read your aerodrome charts. Amazing how many show up without having done that. Check your NOTAMs and the supplements to the ARP, because there's information, we don't duplicate information as much as possible. So there's stuff in supplements about big events that are not necessarily NOTAMs. The NOTAMs really try to use those for short notice changes, not for planned events. And also check the Metinfo, Another one, um, and where you're actually what source you are actually getting from is that fit for purpose? So, one of the things that's also come up uh, recently is reporting of events or occurrences and accidents. We just did this workflow flow chart for pilot and command responsibilities, really important to look at. Try not to stand too bad. while I get feedback? <laughs> so one of the things we want to look at is under part 12, the part 12 rule, if you're a 103 operator or a microlight, you don't have to comply with uh, you don't have to report everything. So we thought we'd come up with a simple flowchart of how you work out what you're going to report. So basically, if there's damage to the aircraft or injury to yourself, the time you want to take off to land then that's counted as an accident and you have to report it to CAA. If there's no damage or injury but you've done an airspace bust or something else, a defect to your aircraft or other occurrences you can think of to the there's all sorts of um, incidents, if you read part 12 that defines what those are, depending on whether you hold a part 61 license is whether you have to report it. If you hold a part 61 license then yes you still got to report it to CAA, but if you don't you report it to your 149 organisation, so whether it goes to RANS or SAC or Flying New Zealand, Riding New Zealand, whichever is covered under that appearance. So those definitions are in part 12, so i handy to have a read of it. But there's four points to remember here. If you have broken it, don't move any wreckage unless it's for an obvious safety reason until you're cleared to by CAA. Because uh, with an accident they'll probably want certain photographs, if it's a minor one they'll probably just say can you take a photo of the aircraft where it is and in you and make the report from that. But if it's a more serious accident, don't move it until you're authorised to do so. Unless, of course, there's a safety hazard. One of the things we want to emphasise to people is that if you've self-reported anything and you're open and honest in a timely manner, the CAA has at this stage never taken enforcement action against anyone. We, As part of a just culture, we really want to emphasise Report what's happened, and if you're open and honest about it, and you've learnt a lesson from it, it's not likely that there'll be any enforcement action taken over, over that. I think that's been written in by the director and. Um, yeah, the director has
3: put down an that in writing. Open, honest, in a timely fashion. Nothing will happen from it. There's obviously the top end, of real bad stuff that fits into a different box.
2: Yeah. So it's more about. Reporting it so that it can be shared around things. Something that you've done or has happened to you might might be something that someone can take a lesson from that as well. And we also want to keep trend uh, uh, observe any trends that are happening. As CAA moves into a risk-based type of regulation, it's always handy. Uh, it's always good to know the data and in I- early identification of any trends or problems. And if you do have an accident. And you can ring there's a phone number so those are on our caa website as well the addresses you need to um, contact it's either online or by telephone or if you're old, really old school there is a form but you probably have to downline it off uh, download it offline to it out so those are Two of the aspects. The other thing that's a big change that's coming, and I'm sure most of you have heard about ADSB. So that's related to the satellite, uh, sorry, the surveillance system run by air traffic control. We're changing that from the current secondary surveillance with some primary surveillance radar to a automatic dependent surveillance broadcast system, which is satellite-based rather than ground-based. So that gives the controller a lot more information, it also is updated more often, plus it has some other bonuses with ADS-B out. It's all based on satellite receive um, positioning for the aircraft. So at the moment, um, the sub- existing radar surveillance technology is getting old, it came in in 1991-92, and it's being replaced by 2023, Airways has to replace it all. So come 31st of December this year, you've probably heard there was the rule change and all flights operating in controlled airspace above flight level 245, thousand feet roughly, have to be ADS-B out equipped um, for air traffic control. So it's only in controlled flights, so in controlled airspace. Proposal is for all controlled airspace and we're talking controlled airspace, transponder mandatory below flight 245 will be ADS-B out as well. So that rule is uh, proposed rulemaking at the moment, it's going to be going to cabinet I think by the end of this year and put out to industry for consultation starting next year, early next year. So the ADSB out system though. Requires your mode Alpha Charlie transponders will no longer be picked up by that system. So there's some capability requirements it we've got up here. So it's got to be ADS-B out capable, and it has to be 1090 megahertz extended squitter, and meet the requirements of the notice that's been issued 91.258. So that's available online. The big change, particularly will affect micro installations, is that the testing has to be done by a Group 3 layman, because they're the only ones who have the certified testing equipment. It will also have to be TSO, at this stage, TSO compliant, um, 145, 146, I think are the numbers. But anyone who's imported from the state, particularly anything with a UAT system, that will not work in New Zealand will not be picked up by air traffic control surveillance. If you are not intending to ever operate in controlled airspace, then you will not have to upgrade. But if you ever do go into controlled airspace, once the rules in effect or is part, uh, does come into effect, you will need an ADS-B out-transponder on board. So a couple of points that i um, promoting at the moment is remember, try and beat the rush because come 2021 there will be no doubt a last minute push for everyone to get their transponders fitted and given it's going to be the group three lamies that are the ones who can test it their workload we expect will be quite high in 2021 so avoid that risk and look at it now rather than later is what we're trying to emphasize the standards are already there so look at what can do it done If you've got any questions about what will be suitable for your aircraft with what's already fitted, talk to your LAMI or maintenance organisation or even AOPA, SAC, SAMS, and RANS to get information. Plus we have on our CAA website and there's email addresses there. Um, Philip has got some pamphlets there if anyone's interested in just basically summarizing that information we have given to you now. So it's all part of that New Southern Sky project, which you may have heard of, or the New Southern Sky program that CAA has been running. It's the modernization from ground-based navigation to satellite-based navigation and some other um, technological advances to catch up. So that may also lead into aeronautical information management. Um, More electronic data rather than paper-based. What's going to
1: be in place in in the event of any uh,
3: satellite
2: failures? There will be, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, in the event of a satellite failure. At the moment, there's going to be a minimum operating network for navigation aids. So the VORs will remain at all of the controlled aerodromes. All the IFR aircraft will have to have the VOR capability as a contingency. However, as far as surveillance goes, they're gonna have a minimal network that may uh, that will comprise of a secondary return at the main aerodrome, so only on the main trunk. It's been identified that it would be Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch to get people through those areas and that's Mainly may need to deal with your large passenger aircraft, everywhere else, um, the controlled airspace won't be under surveillance, so there may be restrictions to put on entering it. Oh, so, so the current transponders are out under all circumstances? For controlled airspace, you can enter with authority, one-off approvals, if the system's up and running, but if they lose the satellite, it's likely that they won't let anyone else in, that they can't manage. Because controllers will be working surveillance separations rather than procedure. Anything else you want to say? Uh,
3: Was your question referring to ADSB in as well? Yeah, Mm -hmm. ADSB out is a requirement. ADSB in is not currently going to be a requirement. Um, it's basically a personal choice, you know. If you want to put your big fancy screen in your cockpit with ADSB in, that's personal choice. But ADSB out will be the requirement. <laughs>
2: yeah, at the moment, I think what cheapest is in uh, the six or seven thousand. Um, so it's all still being considered from a financial impact on industry. But again, if you're not going into controlled airspace, your Mode Alpha Charlie transponders will still be acceptable in the transponder mandatory special use airspace, like the NBZs that you have to have a transponder in, because those are based on aircraft. Uh, the reason that's there is for the ACAS, or abort, Airborne Collision Avoidance Systems on board the larger passenger aircraft operating in uncontrolled airspace. Those areas, that's where that transponder mandatory in an MBZ we have been set around around your Timaru's, your um, Karakaraunus, other areas like that. So the ACAS still picks up mode Alpha Um but in control airspace they're going to be reliant on the A D S B out. One of the other things um, we're talking about, the Lamy's having to do it, but the other bit is there's two components. You can have a mode S transponder, but to get the ads b out, you've got to have the GPS receiving, the GNSS receiver type information. Make sure if you're doing it in a stage, when I mean, you've got mode S, whatever you get to do, the ads b is compatible between the equipment you've got on board the aircraft as well. There's been issues with that. going to be current from the department as they were with I believe that's been considered but there's no decision made on whether that'll happen or not. Um, but put that in as part of when the goes to the notice for proposed rulemaking goes out that would be something I'd suggest you put in as submissions. Yeah the Aviation is just doing that at the moment?
3: On behalf of all of the organisations. Yep, you're putting in a proposal for funding. Yeah. if there's funding later on, what happens to those that have got them already? Are they penalised or do they get a rebate? In a perfect world, we would all hope that it is done in retrospect as well. But obviously, no decision has been made. Yeah. yeah. We'll so all have to wait
2: and see on that one. <laughs> yeah. But again, the emphasis is because when if it goes through and that date of 31st of December 2021 20, rolls around and everyone's wanting to be operating a controlled airspace on the 1st of January, um, then they're they're, we anticipate there'll probably be the backlog and it's getting time with the laymen is going to be the big issue. How much did to? the amount?
3: As an example, um, I've just installed a TR Traktor TR21 without currently without the actual ADSB unit, but that can be placed in later on. And it's my uh, an exchange rate is probably the biggest part of it. It's about six grand. Yeah, um, it depends entirely on what unit you get, and when I say where you get them from, as Paula alluded to earlier on. Be very careful of the stuff out of the US because of the UAT and they below two, four, or five, I think it is all their stuff there is okay on uh, 960 megahertz, whereas ours is ten sixty. So it's gotta be ten sixty, so caution on that one. But if you can get second hand stuff on ten sixty that's confined Then whatever the price is, I guess. It's an unknown quality because at the end of the day I've got, there's other pilots that have actually paid probably 1500 bucks less than we had um, just because of the timing of the purchase too, but I wouldn't guarantee it's going to get cheaper at the close of the day. again, it's a crystal ball. So has anybody here got a USB out capability
2: in there? I've got a Garnum 335.
0: Yep.
2: And meets the TSO? Yeah. Good. And that cost. Garmin had a special two nine nine five total complete box. Yep. The GPS
3: and uh, encoder, the whole lot. New Zealand dollars. So U- and, uh, sorry, US dollars, US dollars yeah. by US. So that's comes up to about five and a half or whatever. Right it, it does over. now.
2: Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> installation. Yeah. <It's laughs> the installation and well, right, I don't know. How long's a piece of strength? Yeah. It's <laughs> always best to try and go for something fairly standard that yeah. is compatible as yourself. any aircraft trying to, uh, wanting to operate in the controlled airspace. So all aircraft, micro lights, um, paragliders, hang gliders, in, even. Um, but you, ATC at the moment will enable, if you haven't got an operable transponder, allow you in there on a one-off basis. But it's quite likely that, that that's only at their discretion and how it's gonna work with their track at the time. So the reliance on being able to control the airspace, without an operable ADSB out mm-hmm. would not be advisable. Are there any other topics you would like to discuss while we're here? Further questions on ADSB? or? will uh, write
3: it for the hours of uh, flying or...
2: Uh, time-wise, do we have to uh, replace
3: a new motor, or can it go on with re- conditions? It's being looked at. Doug um, may have more background on that because it's still being discussed. That is actually being discussed at the moment. Now you're talking about the flight opportunity, and as per the original picture, um, the eyewitness guys are working on that at the moment. Um, my understanding is that they are looking at a some form of future on-condition yeah. type of arrangement. But at what stage that's at, I'm not sure. If you check with um, the uh, RANDS and Zach SAC mm-hmm. um, guys, they will probably have a bit more up-to-date information than we I like give you. We got a draft yesterday going through from The This draft came through yesterday on that, which Stuart from uh, RANDS is handling, Stuart Parker. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much, we've had some really good discussions with CIA on that mm-hmm. from the Federation side of it. But it's looking it's looking very promising and I understand what we've been told that if we get paperwork done right it'll be stamped and put through very quickly. Yeah. I don't it. It's just Any other questions on any subjects?
1: Yes. Who do you send complaints to concerning the Chinggis from the control town you can not understand the ferro Airways.
3: Do they ever do anything about it? don't know.
2: So are you talking about the actual air traffic controllers yes. themselves? Yes. If, if you've got issues with them, yeah, in the first instance talk to airways, but if you still concerned you can put in uh, an aviation related concern to CAA and we will investigate those so that is also on our website and we've got an address for it there but you s- send it to ISI at CAA your concern email that in and just an email is fine and just you know, be specific with it though as well, what day and time yeah. that you, because then they can actually relate it to who may have been on duty as well, well and yeah. the location, well. yeah. So you're finding the towers the problem, the controllers themselves, okay. Any other uh, questions? The medical, we're up to the potential floor of um still being considered from what I understand, um, we had a, I was involved in a meeting about a month or two ago I'm trying to remember where we went from there. Um, it's with personal licensing that side because they handle that medical um, side as to and the rules uh, considering it the rural um, section. Do you know anything more about it than I've got?
3: Um, Again, it's really just my understanding of the things that are going to happen in the future is that a PPL will be based upon a DL9 medical rather than a Class Two medical going into the future, which is around the same lines of what the rest of the world is doing. Um, It's still work in progress, but that is what has been looked at at the moment from my understanding. How long was that piece of string?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I wish I hit we some of these really answers. <laughs> yeah. So, um, are they going to have two levels of PPL? That's got to be worked through because of the concerns, you know, from inst- IFR and night flying privileges. How, unless it? Yeah,
3: it is to do with the privileges relating to different right. levels of. So, being worked through. Yeah. Any questions from the other table? So with
2: yeah, the ADC, so there's
1: the building
3: you've got, what's that you can see or you've got to install it so what does the landing actually test? Yeah. The installation in a, and I stand to be slightly corrected on this one, the installation for a standard category aircraft has to be done by an LAME. The installation for a microlight can be done by the owner <coughs> excuse me and but you because it's a modification the system will require that uh, an appropriate 149 organisation person will do the sign off of the installation then you need someone and probably going back to I think it was the LAME class 3 that was mentioned to do the testing of the installation so that's actual radio and transponder testing the reason for that is because the, they have to make sure the information coming out of it is actually correct. Uh, Airways have been tracking a lot of ADSB aircraft in Auckland and Christchurch to find out and they're having a lot of some problems with certified ADSB equipment there, where the GPS information is actually not coming out correctly. So that's why the testing has to be done
2: on but that
3: the to sign to but the, and the, oh. yes, the operational part it's the operational part that signs off. Yeah. 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 The uh, some transponders that have been installed in the last five years or so are able to be upgraded to be ADS-B capable with appropriately added on boxes, but you'd have to find out depending on time what you've got as to whether it can be or not. But also be very careful that the GPS units that you add into anything like that is one compatible, as Paul mentioned, but also that the GPS is certified for ADS-B use because if the information comes out of, incorrectly from the GPS unit, that's a bit like everybody turning the cell phones on at the same time near a town, it's fries the system. So that's one of the things that we're going to be careful of in the future.
2: Any questions? Any? Oh well, no other questions? Well thank you very much for your time and thank you for inviting us Bruce. Okay so with those addresses, um, particularly for the ADSB mm. but also we're contactable if you know, do have questions and anything else. We're probably gonna be here tomorrow morning if there's flying yeah. <laughs> you know, sticking around. So fingers crossed. But thank you. Thank
0: you. Oh, thank you.
1: That was the Wings Over New Zealand Show with Dave Homeward.